what's it called? Yeah. Uh, I think we should get started. Uh, yeah. Dan, why don't you give us a quick intro and then we can get this running. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background is in like quantitative and high frequency trading. Um, I spent like half my career at a shop called Optiver, which is um, mostly like macro options, high frequency trading. And then the second half I was at Citadel and uh, I'll be joining a new shop in June. I'm currently sitting out a little non-compete, um, but it's a, it's a large trading and crypto shop. So I'm pretty excited. And I'll be building out some some derivatives desks there. Nice, sounds good. Um, yeah, so I think um, it'll be a pretty free flowing session. Um, but just to kind of like get us warmed up, I wanted to know, like, uh, like since you were at you know quantitative uh, quantitative shops and you know like you were at Citadel for a while, um, if like how you see kind of this market evolve, so like. Basically, like, um, I think what would be really valuable is, um, like, just to, you know, kind of, like, set the tone for the call and, you know, like, what we can talk about. Um, but I think in terms of the, yeah, in terms of, like, um, the topic itself, I think because, like, we evolved from, you know, like, 2017 of, like, mostly being the retail and the ICO boom and then that quickly fell down when the bear market hit. Um, and then now we have this, like we're a lot more mature in terms of the market. Um, I, I mean, there's still a lot of um, derivative, derivatives and, you know, um, liquidity that's still lacking in terms of the, the market itself. I think we're just kind of seeing, you know, like what DeFi could be, um, you know, we're, we're building a lot of TVL in there. Um, and, you know, like obviously the major, major tokens have, you know, like a good amount of volume and good amount of depth now, but yeah, basically like, and with institutional money coming in as well, I think there's a, there's a lot of, um, uh you know, there's a lot of uh, like a lot of changes compared to 2017 but i'm guessing you know on your end like what you've kind of seen with you know working at citadel or working at one of the you know con funds um and you know how you see this market kind of evolving especially in the next six to six month year or even you know longer time horizon like two years two years in crypto I definitely is, is can't, can't project that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's interesting because, like, you know, I would consider DeFi, I would relate that to kind of like over-the-counter OTC trading in traditional markets, right? Just because you have, like, you have your large exchanges, like like your Coinbase, your Binance, and, and you know, trickle down there. Um, but I think that what's really building, like, the the dexes and like the DeFi stuff is growing in crypto because people realize there's more like freedom and you can farm and you have a lot more flexibility whereas in traditional finance because the banks really kind of own the otc space it's kind of shrinking because the spreads are wider and they don't offer quite as much liquidity as the whole market so um it's kind of an interesting dynamic and i think that 
like as long as banks don't get involved people will be super keen on growing like the the DeFi and the non exchange related space once you get someone who's just like you know taking down hundreds of millions of dollars one way in a dark pool and and it's moved away from like the average guy with a couple thousand bucks in his wallet i think like the dark people will dislike DeFi a bit more kind of like they did in traditional trading okay so what i'm kind of getting is uh because like i'm not too familiar with how traditional markets work um but what you're saying is like because the banks and like these guys get involved and it's it's a lot more structured um the spreads for like otc or some of these markets are a lot um a lot wider compared to like the tight retail market structure um that's in DeFi. is that is that kind of like what you're saying yeah exactly so i think like there's a bunch of room for DeFi to grow just because there's flexibility the spreads and the uh so the exchanges and the traders can all make money because the spreads are pretty wide and like the volatility is so high that you know if you're picking good coins you know if, if you're listening to uh alpha leak and you're getting good alpha um like you don't really care about paying two percent but for like market makers that's a huge spread to collect on if you're decent right right so you're you're looking at this from like a more of like pawn trading uh you know market maker point of view where it's like yeah like because the spreads are so high right now um you know like it, it's it's relatively easy money in crypto compared to like you know traditional markets where you know uh like it's a lot more efficient and then the the spreads are a lot tighter so it's like you know in order to like make the alpha in there like it's it's gonna take something special yeah exactly and like i mean think about the pnl per trade like per transaction on coinbase versus on like uh spooky swap right like spooky swap you're paying 50 bips across the spread and you're paying like another 30 basis points just in transaction fees um so that's like 80 basis points coinbase if you have a decent amount of volume you're paying like under 10 so if if you have one eighth the volume which you won't but if you had one eighth the volume on spooky swap as you did on coinbase like you'd be they'd be making just as much money. So so there's just way more growth and opportunity even on smaller volumes. And like- right, right. So this is like all from like the, I guess like the you know, market maker and like liquidity provider angle where it's like DeFi grows because those market makers and liquidity providers and quant traders will kind of crowd to the opportunity side, which is like, a lot more in DeFi rather than CeFi, right? Exactly. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, like, as the capital kind of, like, gets injected, I think, yeah, it breeds more liquidity. And, you know, more liquidity means, like, just more people and better trading experience. And it's just, like, positive loop cycle, right? What about... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. good. Oh, no, go, go on. No, what about, like... Because, like, you know, crypto is, like, one of those places, like, where liquidity dries up very, very quickly. As it, you know, increases very quickly, it also dries up very quickly. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, like, if 
you know, like we, we see this in like, um, you know, like the daily cycles, the weekly cycles where, you know, the, if, you know, um, market seems to be underperforming, then, you know, everything just kind of, you know, goes into standstill mode, right? Yeah. Um, and that's like a little bit different from the traditional side. So I'm, I'm wondering if like you see that as like a barrier for crypto to grow, especially in terms of, um, yeah, like just having more volume and having more, um, you know, like bigger sizes come in. Yeah, so that's an interesting point you brought up. And like I've spoken to a lot of trading firms and DEXs as well. And I think that one thing that doesn't really exist in crypto yet, but exists massively in like traditional trading, which will grow crypto a lot and increase liquidity is just like like if I have a if I'm trading a huge, you know, multi billion dollar book, um I'm like running math, like huge positions in one thing versus other correlated products, right? So like, let's say like Trader Joe's uh, or Joe became way more popular. Um, I could lever up my Joe size and hedge it with like Avalanche, right? Which isn't a super popular strategy yet. And there's not quite um margin available no one provides margin for that kind of stuff but like it at a normal trading shop you can actually like get more liquidity than you think you can in certain names just because you can trade correlated products if that makes sense so like oh i want to lever up my whatever my um yeah my joe position um I can actually sell Avalanche to buy more Joe since they're pretty correlated. They're on the same chain and like I can prove a 90% correlation. I think once people kind of allow you to start like cross margining, like in between correlated products um, more, you'll actually get more liquidity in the smaller products and that will allow for growth, like double, triple, quadruple liquidity. Oh, that's really interesting because we haven't seen any kind of like, I think, yeah, those are like institutional products that we, I, I don't know, like maybe I'm not familiar. Um, maybe not, I think that's why I want, I want like David on this as well. Because, um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, like well, I think those are some of the institutional products and like practices that crypto is too nascent for at the moment. Yeah, yeah but I mean, but, I think there are, you know, like, I, I know there's, like, you know, um, a way where you can, you know, deposit your ETH or I think you can do it in FTX and then elsewhere as well. Like, you can just deposit your ETH and then, you know, get more USDT, on, like, you know, like, use that as a collateral and borrow that. But what you're saying is, like, it's, it's it goes kind of, like, beyond that. Um, yeah, like, of, like I, I guess the thing is, like, eventually people are going to be willing to say, you know, if this product is 95% correlated to ETH, um, I'm going to let you borrow like $3 or $4 for every ETH you deposit because like the prices are just probably going to move together. Right, right. Um, I maybe, maybe this is a really stupid question, but like, wouldn't that 
increase your risk drastically even more? Like, would, wouldn't, like, uh, you know, like, the lender be very cautious of doing that, especially in things like crypto? Because it's, like, it's so volatile and, you know, if it's even more correlated, like, it's, like, you're taking double leverage against your position, right? Kind of. Like, I, yeah. I, I guess... I guess it's more for like risk limits, right? So like in traditional trade, like if I'm, if I'm going to hold an S&P position, like NASDAQ is generally like 92% correlated. Um, like the banks that clear my position will let me hold a massive like long S&P short NASDAQ spread. You know, they'll let me hold like five times the position there versus just pure long NASDAQ or short S&P. Oh, interesting. So I think if you want to take like very esoteric like bets on things, like I know that like, you know, I'm just thinking of exchanges. Like I know that Boo goes up with uh, FTM. Like I know they're going to go up and down together, but I just think like Boo will outperform FTM. So I want to get long like 10x my money's value in boo and in order to do that i need to short 10x my money's value in ftm oh interesting okay and i think like once you oh that's that, how it works that's really cool i didn't yeah. know yeah, yeah yeah that's really cool okay and once you can do that then like ideally liquidity like gets way larger right because yeah of people, course people are like oh this guy's bought just bought like hundred million dollars worth of Joe and it went up like 40% for no reason. I'm just going to sell a bunch of Joe and buy avalanche to hedge my Joe. And I can sell like, you know, five X the number of Joe versus what I could normally. And my short, like my, I'm not really naked short anymore because I'm hedging like my first, right. first order risk. And that's, that's something that really provides a ton of liquidity in the traditional markets that, isn't in DeFi yet. So I think as the markets grow, um, oh, there's only going to be more and more avenues to liquidity. Right. And that actually would be really interesting because, you know, like what you see in traditional market, what you see in crypto is like, you know, that spread is like tenfold what you right. see in traditional market, right? right. So basically like, if you can prove correlation, um, enough correlation, then there's massive, you know, like alpha and spread that yeah. could be gotten. Where, yeah, if you can do those kind of strategy or positions. Yeah, and, and like within six months to a year, I have to imagine like half of the top quantitative trading firms are going to be in the crypto market let's say 25% are going to be in the crypto market um, right. putting on these spreads. So you'll see like, you'll see like blow out like off the top that are just ridiculous lasts a lot shorter amount of time. And you'll see like more immediate impact on if avalanche gets bought, everything in the avalanche ecosystem goes up because like someone's just going to be selling it and buying like, a thousand, right. thousand different components of Avalanche at the same dollar value to kind of like rebalance the Avalanche portfolio.
That's really interesting. That's really good. Also, actually, like knowing how these firms operate in those kind of settings. Yeah, yeah. I think these are some of the things that, that like I was really interested in. Um, yeah, um, I think uh, yeah, like look, do you want to go through some of our agenda? Sure. Um, I don't know if Luke is the speaker yeah. right now. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, like, we have, like, the gaming narrative. Like, mainly, like, what I want to highlight here is, like, the GameFi stuff. So, like, uh, DeFi Kingdoms, uh, Wolf Game, uh, like, the Wolf Game Forks, um, and, like, Wizards and Dragons. Uh, also in gaming, we have, like, the in-game World Economies, which we talked a little bit about last time. Um Away from gaming, we have like Luna. Luna's leading the market out of the dip for the most part right yeah. now. It's up like 14% today. Yeah. Um, and then I have like some momentum trades that I was going to highlight, uh, like mainly like the metaverse. But after looking at the chart, like it's a little bit, sand is a little bit weak. Um, and then one of the other momentum trades I was looking at is inverse and was probably going to buy the dip on this. Um, same, same. And then, like, NFTs, uh, there's some NFT news there, too. We've kind of seen, like, a new kind of NFT. Are we seeing more volume in NFTs? Uh, I'm not the one to ask. You get um, to check Manson for that. Yeah, I think we are. I think uh, Board Ape Yacht Club floors have came up. Um, but, yeah, other than that, like, when it goes too deep into NFTs, like, I don't know. Mm. You know, we're seeing um, larger numbers in NFT volume just because you're starting to see a lot of Wolfgang forks. <clears throat> and, you know, that involves NFTs. But, right. um, and of course, floor prices go up as ETH dumps. And so, um, you know, floor prices are changed based on what the price of ETH is usually. Um, but as far as like the 10,000, you know, collection profile picture NFTs, they don't do as well anymore. Um we did see RFTK or whatever acronyms are. <clears throat> they dropped their collection yesterday. That was a lot. Of, there was a lot of controversy because uh, everyone's calling it a cash grab because uh, mint price was three ETH. Um, but they ended up selling out. So that's crazy. Yeah, that is kind of a cash grab. Um, but I mean, they did sell out. So I mean, they don't give a fuck. But. Um, and then also Budweiser, um, they had their own NFT collection that sold out yeah, on their sure. website. And of course, they have an ENS, um, you know, beer.eth now, which was funded by Gary. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and you then know, seeing some NFTs, so, Adidas yeah. uh, had a collaboration with Board API Club this week also. Um, if you have like a an AD, if you have an ape, you can kind of you can put these track suits and like uh, Adidas hoodies on your ape, like. Um, so you can look yeah. like the UK. Yeah, you can look like you're from Eastern bro. Europe. Oi, <laughs> 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 <Boy>, bro. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Anything that we should absolutely go over. Um, also, yeah, like, um, yeah, if you want to jump into an idiot's topic, feel free. Um, we usually do kind of like a fireside chat. Um, yeah, I don't know if like, 
yeah, like I, I actually, yeah, like I have no idea if like any of the metaverse stuff or NFT stuff or gamefi stuff actually would apply to some of the, you know, like some of the traditional kind of like, um, I guess like font strategies or you know some, some of the traditional knowledge that you know some of these, uh, uh, some of these like you know quant farms or like algorithmic trading firms have. I don't know if that that like applies on like what your expertise is, but yeah, feel free to definitely jump in. No, I'll I'll definitely be the dumbest one on that stuff in this list. <laughs> I'll sit out there. Um, yeah, I mean, like I do want to go back to some of these, uh, yeah, some of the some of the stuff you were talking about because like it's 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 going to be super interesting for the next six months. But yeah, I just want to go over some of the agenda that we currently have. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's let's go through like maybe like top three highlights that. We definitely need to go over. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we should definitely start off with uh, like GameFi and like the gaming narrative. Uh, like, I think Dennis has been looking into DeFi Kingdoms quite a bit, uh, and then like pretty much every um, yeah, pretty much everyone has been jumping in on these Wolf Game forks, and uh, like me, Viper, and Dennis, we minted. Um, or virtual bacon. We minted the um, the sheep games and the sheep, um, and then I think we're going to be minting uh, some of these wizards and dragons, uh, which I think are out today. Yeah, they come out in about thirty four minutes, and uh, I don't know, I'm growing pretty b- uh, bullish on it. Um, they ended up selling. You know, they did the bounty program like minutes before launch, and. They sent transactions showing that they, you know, they paid 50k per bounty. I think they paid four people for fighting bugs, so they paid mm-hmm. out what 200k. Um, and sorry, them- just for the just for everyone and myself as well, like, what is this like wolf? Like, how, what's the mechanics behind it? Like, how does it work? You mean just for you, Garla? <laughs> just kidding. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you're just for everyone else. Um, so the way it works, it's a, it's a great Ponzi. I love it. So here's how it works. There's Gen Zero where you will mint their, you know, let's just say the, the wolf game or whatever, or sheep game. Um, there'll be Gen, Gen Zero where you can mint up to 10,000 sheep slash wolves. And the odds of minting, let's say, a wolf would be like 1 out of 10. And then the odds of minting a sheep is nine out of 10. So wolves are rare. And once that sells out, then there's another, you know, I think in total like 30,000 sheep, but each 10,000, the price to buy it goes up. Now only gen zero is bought by money. The other ones are bought by the farm token. So let's say, you know, uh, one through 10,000 gen zero are bought, bought for one AVAX, for example. All right, well, now Gen 1 and on, they'll be bought for 10,000 wool. Then the next 10,000, 20,000 wool. Next 10,000, 40,000 wool. So here's how the Ponzi works. The Ponzi works by, you know, you stake your sheep. And actually, when you're staking, when you're going in the, when you're doing the process of staking sheep, you have a certain percentage chance of losing your sheep to a wolf and one and then one random sheep if it is taken by a wolf will be sent to a wolf holder 
and that's if you're staking the wolf. Then you're, you know, you're getting your wool and you can keep shearing it as much as you want. In order to unstake your sheep, which, by the way, these are all NFTs you can sell on OpenSea. In order to unstake your sheep, you must not sell and not harvest for two full days. So you must have two days worth of wool <laughs> you can unstake it. But if you unstake the sheep, 50 per, you have a 50% chance of losing all your wool. And so that's another thing. And then so... Oh and my also, God. This, is the, such a cr- crazy this Ponzi, Garland, I'm gonna like you're not gonna know any anything. I, you're not gonna remember anything I told you. But also, <laughs> while you're shearing your sheep, twenty percent of all your sheared uh, wool when you're while you're still staking gets sent to wolves as a tax. Um, and then it just it gets deeper and deeper, Garland. You're not gonna understand. Uh, it, it's like you, it's one of those things where. You understand, but you just won't remember all the numbers. And so it's a great Ponzi. Um, incentivizes you to hold. Yeah. You to buy this is wool. crazy. Yeah. So, like, um, you know, most of these. So, basically, the wolf goes, like, like the biggest winner in this lane is, like, wolves, right? Correct. The wolves like are. Everyone, everyone exists to serve the wolves price. Pretty much. And, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and, of course, you want the sheep to farm free token. And so, like, when I, I minted four because I wasn't sure if there was even an NFT marketplace on AVAX. And I was fortunate enough to mint one wolf. And so, like, I think the mint price was two AVAX each. And so, um, for example, the sheep floor price later that day was 10 AVAX. And then the wolf floor price was, like, 80 AVAX. So, like, there's a big difference in price. Oh, wow. Um, so, in, in this same case <clears throat> with Wizards and Dragons... The wizards are the sheep, and the dragons are the wolves. So, of course, you want wolves. But I will say, wizards and dragons, um, although I'm bullish on you know the bounty program, and they also claim to um, eradicate the flashbot um, possibility. <clears throat> and for those of you who don't understand what the flashbot exploit is, it's basically a way for um, bad faith users to look at what they're going to mint before they mint. So they can pretty much ensure that they mint dragons. Um, so they uh, supposedly have code to get rid of that exploit. Um, but number one, the mint price. Well, actually, they're not doing mint. First of all, they have 7,500 users on the whitelist. And there's only a total of 15,000 NFTs for Gen Zero. And each whitelist user can mint up to two. So like, okay, GG public, right? Um, <clears throat> that's one thing. And then whatever's not minted out of that 15,000 will be Dutch auctioned starting at 0.4 ETH. So it's like, okay, you know. So right. what I plan on doing <clears throat> is there's always paper hand jeets in the beginning. So what I plan on doing is waiting for them to paper, you know, paper hand to feed their village. And I'm going to buy the dip. <laughs> uh, and uh yeah and kind of go from there but we'll see how it goes um i'm not usually um bullish on just silly forks um but i think this will do well original art um you're fixing the exploit etc cetera, etc cetera. so i'll get you know I'll, I'll i'll entertain it so yeah just to simplify that real quick um what really why uh, the token gains value is the um, everybody's trying to gamble on minting a dragon. So like it's a little bit of a lottery at first and um, 
So like they're kind of like what Viper said, like the dragons and like the the wolves and the the right. games. Like you have a pretty good chance of uh, like one in ten of um, getting a pretty good um, mint out of it. So like that we see like instead of uh, we see like a different played earn cycle than like Axie in uh, the wolf game. Instead, like we see like players like taking a gamble on the mints uh, rather than like the mints actually like seeing high demand, at least in my uh, sheep game experience. Um, and so like the rest of the time, like the, uh, like since it didn't have the same longevity as, uh, as wolf game, like the, uh, the tokens dropped in price and then we saw like the uh yeah it's kind of yeah i don't know where i, where I want to go with this but i think what i want to say overall is like with these forks uh they're nothing more than farms like they don't have the novelty of like the first uh project so i think what we're going to see with these is like play these is to, to move from uh, one farm to the next because i think it's nothing more than yields chasing at the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my strategy on these is um like there's like a halving schedule so like every uh once there's twenty thousand sheep or twenty thousand nfts that's when the cost per mint goes up to forty thousand uh um of the tokens that they emit like uh, the the nfts that you get um, and then when that happened, instead of seeing the price of the NFTs go up, which I'm really sure is what we saw with like Wolf Game, uh, on Sheep Game we saw the prices tank. So I think on these farms, instead of seeing like uh, the having periods increase price and like scarcity, we're kind of just seeing people move on to new farms. Mm. So that's kind of yeah, that's how I'm playing this. Yeah. Uh, currently, right now, like Sheep Game is is. Uh, I would I think people think it's like dead in a way, but I don't think it's dead. Uh, like the token has had this massive pullback and same thing with the NFTs, but they are going to be releasing new updates and they're moving away from uh, being just a wolf game fork and they're moving into their own territory. So we might see this uh, wolf game enter, no, my bad, sheep game enter a new like boom cycle uh, as soon as they do this. Mm. And that's kind of what I'm speculating on. It's kind of like with Axie, like as soon as they release their next update, they're going to go into a boom cycle right. like we, we see with a lot of these farms. And uh, I speculate we're going to see something similar with this wolf game and sheep game. I'm particularly sheep game, my bad. Um, and then when it comes to like uh, wizards and dragons, like they have different, uh, it's not exactly a fork. They have different art and I think different... Um, like tokenomics overall. So I think we're going to see something different come out of their park. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I do want to participate in the mints there, but I kind of want to get in at a good price. So uh, I'm, I'm expecting a lot from uh, wizards and dragons, but the rest of these just forks, I'm just farming them. Right. right. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I do think that this and is a trend to, emerge more but i i don't know necessarily where it goes i think it's like the yeah maybe it's like people will start 
messing with the tokenomics and you know like the ponzinomics to create different things like i think the core idea is like just having you know like maybe like two assets kind of like feed on each other and a farming token um and then maybe there's like a way like there's going to be like different forks on based on that like umbrella idea but yeah well well yeah yeah i yeah, yeah, I think I just don't have enough knowledge to kind of like, yeah, see um, see how this turns out. Um, is there anything else that you may want to go over? I, just to highlight it real quick, uh, I don't know too much about it, but if uh, Virtual Bacon wants to elaborate more on it, um, DeFi Kingdoms like is popping up a lot, and like it's there. They kind of have a different GameFi structure. They kind of they have. Oh, yeah. um, like gen zero characters and then those gen zero characters have infinite amounts of breeds so those characters go for about like 35k right now oh, wow. when i last talked to uh virtual bacon and then each one of their breeds after that has like a i think a depreciating amount of breeds after so like the gen oh, one has like, let's say 10 breeds and then, like, Gen 2 has, like, like eight breeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. like, they each have, like, depreciating values. So, it's like uh, another values ponzinomics there. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe, exactly. Maybe, like, I, I don't think the quests for the um, heroes, they, they were just released, like, yesterday. I don't think too many people can, like, know the, the earning way is yet. But uh, the, I think... Something I do know is like their tokenomics design is really cool because um, from the like outside, it looks like a, just a farm like Trader Joe where you have like a game uh, interfaces on top of it. But the design is quite different because um, Firstly, like the pairs, they're all paired with the jewel token, so the platform token, instead of like harmony. Um, right, right, okay. Yeah, and like they, and all, and the main pairs that they have is not harmony ecosystem. It's actually like uh, other chains. So, mm. uh, yeah, they're very like multi-chain. So the biggest pairs on there are. Of course, Jewel Harmony, but also like Jewel Avax, Jewel Matic, Jewel Phantom. Mm. These are the ones they incentivize the most. So it's like very farmer friendly. Um, and then on top of that, like the earnings, uh, because they like brand themselves very well with the game and like they only have one token, which is the Jewel token, it's used in heroes and, and other like quest features of actual play to earn. It doesn't have the kind of like inflation or the narrative of like a DeFi token like Joel, where you farm and dump. Uh, instead, oh, uh, so it's like there's an actual utility in the game. Yeah, there's actual utility, like. Right, right. Fine. Obviously, there. I, I think that's why I'm so bullish about these games. Yeah. It's like it's it's an actual utility, like it's not just trading, right? Uh, so, okay, so yes, there, I, I wouldn't say it's like more consumption than there is generated, but at the very least, like because the metaverse trend is hot, um, there's enough people at least speculating to 
and the lockup is good enough to like account for all of the compounding like so mm. uh so yeah that that is really strong like that's why i i think this farm is like way better than stuff like trader joe because when you farm it um more people think of it as farming an actual metaverse token than a dex token so when you think of it that way you're pairing like a, a, a metaverse token with another like very blue chip like layer one coin and then you're farming also metaverse coin uh, and and i think that's like super attractive and, and even though it is your farm uh, no that, that makes sense because like usually yeah like i think a lot of the farming tokens have kind of struggle to like find their ethos and a lot of them have you know like a wrapper of being like governance token, but at the end yeah. of the day, like everyone knows it's going to be a speculative trading token, right? So, yeah, you know, like no one has the incentive to really like hold on to them. Um, yeah, but I, I think uh, unless like you're convex, like you have like significant amount of like power with that token and we can deal with the governance token. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it's like, it's, even then, it's like it's really hard because, like, even, like the small fish, you know, like they, they, they don't really have, like, they're not going to participate in the governance process if you're like, you know, if you're a retail, right? It's mostly like these institutions that are holding massive amounts. Um, so I think, yeah, like, what I think gaming does is like it, it really, it's like it's an institutional friendly utility. So, like, governance is very geared towards, like, sorry, not institution, retail-friendly. So, governance is very geared towards, like, institutions kind of holding it and, you know, um, maybe, like, dictating the votes here and there. Um, whereas, like, the games allow, like, a lot of retail to, you know, be, like, it, it provides utility and um, kind of, like, incentive to hold for retail because, like, they can use it in everyday interaction within the game, right? So I feel like, yeah, that's why gaming tokens are such an interesting, um, yeah, interesting model in terms of like kind of mixing it in with uh, meal farming and stuff. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. It's like yeah. uh, the main utility is a lot of like just repetitive work of clicking and retail mm -hmm. a lot of time versus the main uh, with taxes it's mostly who has the most money to um, best like set up to just farm and dump figure out the best mm -hmm. retail is yeah fun. exactly yeah cool um i kind of want to get back to like the traditional topic unless we want to like discuss anything else here no that's pretty much it just it's pretty cool uh luke what do you what do you got um I think I, like I, I was going to talk about a little bit about in world, uh, open world economies, but let me come back at you with uh, like next time on Thursday we can talk a little bit more. Yeah, because uh, I think like David's here, um, also Dan, Dan's here, like kind of like want to like uh, you know like, really get in the weeds of like you know like the traditional market and like how that's going to be reflected on the crypto. Um, so yeah, like just coming back to that topic after this, uh, little detour, um, what's it called? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, like, so 
basically, I think we talked about like the increase in liquidity through um, some of those like correlated hedging methods, and like how that allows you know like a lot of a uh, lot of capital to like really come in. Um, other than that, Dan, I guess like this is on you. Um, have you seen any other like really prominent strategies that, that are being used that could exist in crypto that doesn't right now? Um, you mean in terms of like providing liquidity and market making, or just pure like or, uh, or whatever market? like your yeah whatever you're like com- like I guess like your experts in or like you know about you know like just basically opportunity aspects of like, okay, like this is what I've seen in like Citadel and this is what I've seen in like some of the traditional, like the algo trading side and like that doesn't happen in crypto. Yeah. A lot of like the traditional markets, I would say, you know, 70, probably like 80% of the volume now is just pure, like systematic strategies. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not punting. It's not, um, like retail or even hedge funds are moving way more towards your pure quant models because like stock picking just doesn't really beat the market anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, I assume like, and I guess this goes on to the added liquidity thing that we talked about earlier. Um, I assume that like, as that happens and people are just building large quant portfolios, um the dynamic of of the whole you know ecosystem changes and you're going to get less volatility even on small coins um and you're also going to get like just different price action you know i think a lot of a that's lot of true pricing is like rudimentary and and like t- like basic technical analysis works on a lot of stuff and you can like oh ether ether jumped I'm going to buy these five altcoins because they're going to jump. But like, you know, if computers know to do that, you're never, you're just never going to beat them to it. So right, right. I think like as chains become like, you know, quicker to transfer between like these bridges are pretty slow now, but like, you know, uh, ether has, a bunch of wrapped avalanche coins and, and vice versa avalanche is a bunch of uh, wrapped ether like tokens, right? Sorry. Uh, like tokens built ERC 20. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As, as it becomes quicker to transfer back and forth, you're just going to see like way more, um, I guess like arbing going on and then basically keeping markets more efficient. And you're also going to see like, yeah, the opportunities you had before to like buy altcoins on a Bitcoin and Ether rally are just not going to be there anymore. Um, mm. So I think like the alpha will turn almost fully into finding new projects, finding, you know, sub $10 million projects that, you know, you've talked to or, you know, the devs and the head guy and, and you're able to like find alpha there just because like, these things that you can spot with your eye, these mispricings are just aren't going to exist anymore. Mm, like, and reduce, I guess, the, yeah, reduce the volatility side as well. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, if, if like, like before, if the small tokens on larger chains, you know, go up 
50% because of one large order, uh, that'll be corrected immediately. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. so you're not going to see like things go up 400% and then down and then down, you know, 60% in, in two days, you're going to see that in 10 seconds. Oh, right. Right. Because yeah, there's going to be a lot more. Yeah. There's going to be a lot more players in there. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, hey, David. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to jump in. I, I think we just made you a speaker because, like, I know you're a lot more knowledgeable with this stuff. Um, I don't know if you, like, had any questions there. If not, I can just keep going. You might be on mute. Oh, so that was a question for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I know you're a lot, lot, yeah, lot more into like the trade thing, like what he said, and like you know, you kind of like follow suit on what's going on. So I don't know if you like if you had like you know things that you kind of wanted to like um, kind of bounce back and forth. But if not, uh, I can just like keep keep it going. As yeah, okay. You're, yeah, I, can, I mean, I can provide yeah. a few things. I haven't been following markets that much, but I guess with big themes, like I guess. I'm always kind of tuned in, but uh, it's just been quite busy, um, at least for the past month. But I guess from a macro standpoint, I guess a few things, right, uh, with the whole Omicron virus, right? So I think they're still trying to figure out what's kind of the, like, what is it? You know, is it problem, et cetera? And for, you know, when we first had that um, sharp correction over the weekend and then we had that dip down and we kind of bounced to the market, um, actually, macro hedge funds were selling into that bounce. That, but again, like it doesn't mean like they're kind of unloading their entire portfolio. Um, mm. But right now, at least from a macro standpoint, they're not really looking at this Omicron as like a nothing burger. Um, they're still kind of assessing the situation, and I think they're taking some risk off the table. Um, and as you can see, even after that bounce. Uh, equity markets fell further down, right? So that kind of validates. So they're still trying to figure out like, what is this? Um, And I think there's like some cases that's not reported because of course the initial article over the weekend was, okay, we got a few cases here and there, like, you know, Hong Kong has one case, et cetera. But from the word on the street is there are cases that it just hasn't been reported in some of these countries. And that's why, you know, Japan yesterday shut down, right? Um, you're not, no foreigners are allowed to kind of come in. So we'll see what happens like later this week to see if um, the, these cases do show up. Cause I think if there are cases in different countries, it's just not reported yet. <laughs> then, so, that might, then the market's fine. It's, it's like March all over. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, I mean, again, like, I don't, think we're going to have the same type of effect as the initial type because of, you know, we have vaccines in place. And I think like for pharma, you know, they're already working on, you know, vaccinations as well as like the pills to make more money. Right. But um, I think it would be naive to think that there are not cases in like, let's say us, et cetera. Right. So the initial reaction, if that were to happen, would be kind of like a knee jerk reaction. And I think some of the, um, you know, macro funds are starting to kind of at least kind of manage risk into it um, and then kind of figuring out what to do once that happens. 
And I guess when it comes down to crypto, right, we've like market's still kind of holding uh, irrespective of like equities market. But a lot of this bounce has a lot to do with like micro strategy buying the dip. Um, So I guess today is kind of the key day to see kind of like what happens, um, because I think that the bounce from a day ago or day and a half ago was mainly you know, micro strategy buying, as well as just people kind of just following suit, um, people covering their shorts and things like that. But um, I don't think anybody really knows uh, about like what's going to happen next. Um, but I think it's good to kind of keep a close eye in regards to the equities market and what happens with this Omicron virus. And I think, you know, Novogratz was quite interesting. I think he came out with a push. And basically, he mentioned in regards to the whole um, the Fed stuff that's happening, you know, so Fed already started tapering the bond purchases. And uh, there was like an article um, that they were going to start um, speeding up that timeline, which allows them to kind of start uh, raising interest rates as early as next summer. And I think it was like Novogratz. I think it was just like, I don't know when it was sometime between the past six months. He, he basically said that crypto would um, pull back. Uh, so I don't know, you know, what what's underneath that message. But um, I think it's, I think kind of going forward in terms of the cycles, you know, again, we've had the cycle in 2017, you know, in 2018, where we kind of dropped off. And I think in terms of this cycle, since we do have so much like smart money, institutional money, you have like three mega crypto funds that at least have raised like at least over $2 billion, you know, like Paradigm. Um, Anderson's like probably like AUM's probably over five bill. So I think like this cycle is a little bit different because we have so much smart money that's in that they have to always be invested. Unlike in 2017, where they all the crypto funds just like literally exit all their portfolios. So I think in 2022 is that you have kind of like a flight quality, you know, you'll see like new projects come in that actually, you know, have use cases on the tokens, et cetera. So, you know, when people talk about crypto winter, I don't think it's going, if we do have one like next year because of the Fed rate hikes, I don't think it's going to be the same type of scenario as what we had in 2018. So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's just a couple of thematic points that are recent that I thought, you know, might be helpful. And I think you guys were talking about GameFi. So I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm involved with a lot of these GameFi projects, but I don't really know like what's happening from a gameplay and the whole DeFi stuff. So I mainly focus on the infrastructure side of this GameFi stuff. And what's interesting, and I don't know how much you guys dig into the the backend side versus kind of just the token economics, but a lot of these games aren't really on the blockchain, right? So, mm, right, right, right. So, uh, so, so yes, yes. So, 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 what they've done is they created a coin, right? And then. You know, they, you know, run transactions and sometimes they put it on ETH. I guess in the case of Axis Infinity, you know, if they created their own run-in, right, which is basically kind of fork that they kind of control. So it's technically a database, right? And the main reasons why they 
do it on their own to kind of blockchain or, you know, in the sense of databases because they they need fast transactions. And currently, you know, you know, layer one can't do it. Uh, when it comes down to layer two, there's, you know, still bridging issues and things like that. I mean, if you play onto any of these L2s for uh, like DeFi, for when like coins list, like, can you put in a transaction? Like how many transactions fail, right? So it's not really reliable, right? So of course, like Solana is making a big push on gaming, et cetera. So I've been spending a lot of time talking to a lot of these GameFi projects, both on the, I mean, both on the startup side and the crypto, as well as some of these top game developing companies, including the ones in Korea. And I mean, I guess there is a big push to basically build games on the blockchain. So it'll be quite interesting if we were to kind of start correcting on this whole FOMO on the GameFi side is I think the the games that actually do end up building um, like the game on the blockchain uh, really well are the guys who kind of like win out next year versus some of these other guys who just basically, you know, you know, like token economics, you know, Ponzi plus white paper, right, nice right. paper. Like these guys probably won't uh, be sustainable versus the guys that, you know, start actually, you know, building on top of the blockchain and uh, taking advantage of the smart contracts and the composability and all that kind of stuff. These guys and integrate with the metaverse. These guys are the guys that will probably continue to kind of, grow in that bit but i think a lot of people in the in the game by space like you know investing and punting if they look at the tech stuff like there's not a lot of it happens on the blockchain which is fine for now but i think once like some of this fomo kind of dies out like people will start looking at like what is actually being transacted on the blockchain so um just some of my understanding about why they're uh, the games are off chain um uh, like the one of the main reasons um that i remember is like there's no um probabilities like on these chains like uh, you have to have, my bad i think you have to have uh, like a link to to be linked up with it in order to have like probabilities in order um for uh so like in axie like there's uh, like, what are the chances you're going to get, like, a critical hit? Like, that would be fully displayed on on chain, and it kind of would ruin the game, I think, with botting. And there's also, um, like, because it's a public blockchain, like, you would see your opponent before you would match up with them, too. So, like, you could see what your opponent's team would be, and uh, you could, like, you could set a, it up, essentially, to where you would only play people who have worse teams than you. So, like, Right now, I think on these public blockchains, like there's these there's these kind of hurdles that um, these games have to overcome. But I think on, we can see um, like games moving over to like Secret. Uh, when we talked with like the Secret guys, they had solutions to a lot of these problems. And um, yeah, I I think uh, like they could probably deliver some on-chain games that uh, like public blockchains couldn't. So. Um, yeah, I, I do think I, I, I definitely agree with you, but, um, there are some, um, hurdles for on-chain games right now. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's two, basically two problems. One is the whole privacy of 
you know, if you can kind of see what the other guy is doing, you can kind of front run and from a gaming perspective. But as you mentioned, secret, but also another um, side chain layer two that's doing pretty good job is, you know, uh, Starkware, right? With ZK rollups. So, you know, Starkware has proven through DYDX, you know, like the, the power and all that kind of good stuff. Um, so, you know, whether it's like secret, you know, Sarkware. Um, but I also think that I'm not saying that everything needs to be on the blockchain. But right now, like from a gaming perspective, like, like I don't know, maybe like less than 10%, right? Happens like in terms of from a gameplay perspective is on the blockchain. Um, and then the other critical problem on the infrastructure side is just getting the data, right? So when it comes down to a lot of these Web 3.0 applications, whether it's DeFi, you know, gaming, et cetera, is, you know, every use case that gets validated, um, it, it, it basically starts leveraging and empowers like the blockchain technology. And the more advanced and innovative we get when it comes down to like even NFTs, right? First, we have NFTs with PFPs, and then, but now we have like metaverses. So now that we are actually, you know, doing some interesting stuff on the blockchain, the demand for that data fast becomes increasingly needed right so with DeFi, you know you can have like a 15 minute lag and you'll still play the game but in in game like if you have any like 10 second delay it'll kill the gameplay entirely so that's the other problem in like from an infrastructure infrastructure perspective is you know there's not really um like a pro like a really good player out there that kind of provides this data pretty much fast and easy i think basically you have the graph but again like the graph you know it broke you know in february i mean like earlier this year for pancake swap even like arbitrum it was down for a month so you know graph has its own issues in regards to being able to provide on-chain data to a lot of these d apps so it'll be interesting to see you know once there's an infrastructure player out there that can actually do this uh, pretty fast and easy to allow a better experience for these D apps to kind of plug in, get the data they need at the same time is not to say that all the data, you know, is kind of on the blockchain, but at least some of it, and then maybe use some of these, you know, ZK rollup type of tech to kind of hide the stuff that should not be public, but still kind of on the blockchain. Yeah, Namjik, real quick. I've actually spoken to two gaming companies that are want to do Ether L2, and they're all, I mean, sorry, both of them are going to go Starkware. Um, they just, well, first of all, I think Starkware is good and it'll attract a lot of devs because it's Pythonic as opposed to most other stuff is like JavaScript, like coding style which which i think most programmers prefer the pythonic language anyway um but also i think the heads of starkware are really trying to push gamefi on their platform yeah i mean i i talked to starkware quite a bit um and then both myself and my other co-founder for our data company uh, we've been pretty big fans of starkware tech for like over a year now so we're pretty happy with, you know, the accomplishments of DYDX, but it kind of proves to kind of show you in terms of the amount of volume and activity and the seamless experience that uh, Starkware provides DYDX, what would happen if you actually put a game on it? So, um, you know, I'm, we're looking forward to kind of seeing a lot of this good stuff happen, um, whether it's like Starkware or some like these other layer one technology that actually, 
kind of use the blockchain and things like that. So, um, I mean, I think it'll be exciting things that are going to be happening going forward. Because again, I think even with Polygon, like they started, they're not using Starkware, but I think they're using some other ZK rollup type of technology. So then you can kind of see kind of like where the industry is kind of heading when it comes down to uh, scalable, you know, privacy transactions where privacy is kind of needed for the use case. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and the good thing about the ZK rollups also is like, there's not going to be any issues with the, with the ZK, right? It's a bit more secure. Uh, yeah. I mean, so far, I mean, so far it's been pretty secure. Like, uh, you know, we've, inter we've integrated into uh Stark. So, so far we haven't really seen any um, thing that is alarming or red flags yet, but who knows at the end of the day until it's been kind of, you know, tested with regression and all that other kind of stuff. But uh, so far, I haven't. We haven't really seen any any holes or gaps or things like that. Uh, versus a lot of the other, you know, multi billion dollar um, L twos or you know side chains, like they have a lot of issues. So um, we'll see kind of mm. like what happens um, at the end of the day. Do you guys see uh, like in terms of like um, uh, we're just mentioning data? Do you guys see? Um, oracles kind of like making a making a play because uh, other than Chainlink, there's not a lot of like notable oracles that are out there, right? I think there's a ton of oracles, but I just haven't really seen the use case or integration for the oracles. Um, on yeah, a lot of these protocols and DEXs and you know, DeFi, so. I'm just wondering, like, if if anyone knew kind of like that whole ecosystem and like what's been going on there. Yeah, with oracles, what Chainlink does is they put off chain off chain data on chain, right? So, but the thing is, is that what people need more than anything right now is putting like on chain data uh, accessible to off chain players. A good example is gaming, where you don't want to like put all the data, and you kind of need that data to kind of process like gameplay transactions. So this is a very interesting area because um, I think like the way that most people get their data, whether you're like a DeFi, Dex, etc., is kind of like um, not a proper way to do it. They kind of get it, get their data from different sources, whether it's some of these um, archival nodes or indexers or oracles. It's like a mix of everything versus it would be nice if everyone could just kind of get their on-chain data from like one player that you know doesn't break down and it's it's fast enough that they can kind of run operations. So before it wasn't really an issue because you can have the data kind of come in slow and people will still kind of uh, participate um, on the app. But I think kind of going forward, like the um, appetite for the users their expectations will only grow. It's kind of just like with the whole DeFi stuff. You know, participants' expectations to play in DeFi are a lot higher than it was two years ago. Same thing goes with NFTs. Like you can't just do like the PFP, right? It needs to kind of, you know, be able to be in the metaverse now and things like that. And I think even with GameFi, um, it's actually innovating quite quickly. So what I noticed is that 
you know, the user's expectations of what should happen in order for them to actually play as well as um, hold a token, it keeps on going pretty high, which means that at the end of the day is in order for a lot of these dApps to be a lot more innovative, they actually need to get that on-chain data a lot faster than they did before. So in terms of players, again, you know, I think, you know, Chainlink pretty much, you know, I think they're doing like a V2 or something like that to kind of put more data versus just price feeds. But um, I guess we'll see what happens. But I that's the most interesting area for myself is actually mm. the data side. Um, and it's also because I think enterprise will start going on the blockchain next year. So then they're not really going to go on like um, build. They're not going to build on top of Ethereum, but they'll probably launch their own permission change, but then interrupt with public chains, which means that they'll also want the data from the public so that they can kind of interact with what happens within like their own ecosystem. So, at least, I mean, again, like at least for me, I think like data stuff is the most interesting part because again, in the Web 3.0 world, pretty much, your blockchain is your cloud public database that everybody uses. So, um, right, right. I think the graph is pretty much a monopoly there. Like, uh, can't think of any anyone else really. Yep. Yeah, they currently have a monopoly today. Everyone else, like, again, like, like for example, like Covalent. You know, um, they say thirty second, you know, refresh rate, but. In, in a real-time play, like 30 seconds is kind of too slow, right? So I think the only guy that does it and has monop pretty much now has a monopoly is the graph. But again, like I think graph has its own um, like engineering issues, which we'll, we'll see what, what kind of happens at the end of the day. But um, it'll be exciting to see what happens in the next couple of months. There you go. Good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think um, yeah, it's a good place to wrap it up there. Um, I, I, I think I'll, I want to get a, a lot more into like the traditional market structure versus um, like the crypto structure. But yeah, like I, I also don't want to like you know run this for longer than an hour. So yeah, maybe uh, maybe we'll, once uh, we have like better thesis and you know like we see like um, more stuff going on, we'll you know reinvite Daniel. Um, to kind of like talk about all this stuff. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah, we'll wrap it up there. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Daniel. It was great. Oh, thank you guys for having me.